someone else has already said it best. This is the best, the best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 Hello, 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 and welcome to Best of the Best Podcast with myself, Connor Keys, alongside me, once again, <laughs> the one and only Mr. Ronan Mullen. I, I keep hearing, have a lump, 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 have a We are back, we are back, and yeah. uh, we took a little uh, detour, siesta, a uh, little bit of a break there in yeah. madness of the summer, but it's okay. So when you're listening to this, it could be any time, so who cares? Uh, yes, we're here with the uh, the Mighty Untouchables. Not the Mighty Untouchables, just the Untouchables. Yeah. But it is Mighty. <laughs> I've never seen the Mighty Untouchables. <laughs> Them boys aren't accurate at all. That'll, that'll be happening. You know. that'll be, that'll I'll be getting Instagram messages tomorrow. Uh, I think you'll find. Fuck up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, another... Another best of in the in the, in the movie genre. The movie. Yeah, one we 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 picked up on early and then just never got around to. Never it was on our list, I think at the mm-hmm. start. Yeah, um, it's just it's it's been well, we always say it, a classic. Um, although we don't always say it because it's not often that we get into this uh, era. Eighties mm-hmm. in the eighties, but set in the thirties. The thirties. So we've got. Uh, a period piece. <laughs> it is a from the eighties. It is very much a period which, piece. Uh, don't know if the two of them will go, would ever go hand in hand. Period no. pieces and, and the eighties, but thankfully, it's uh, it's not what you would think of. Uh, it's not all corsets and medieval fucking. It's, <laughs> no, it's period. Madame. <laughs> yeah, no. no, it's but, more fucking Tommy guns and yeah, right wrecking yeah. and bearing up. Proper gangster, and uh, so we've got Brian De Palma returning to a a gangster theme. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Untouchables uh, in 1987, Seven. starring Mr. Sean Connery. I'm not going to do an impersonation because I can't do it. No, no, I'm bad at it too. Uh, Sean Connery, Kevin Costner, uh, Andy Garcia, Bobby D. Bobby D. as Mr. Capone. Capone? Hamming it up like fuck. Hamming it up like fuck is right. <laughs> Doing his notorious, uh, gaining fucking a million pounds. and But he still had to wear a prosthetic. Yeah, he's um, still, yeah, he's still. He couldn't get uh, Capone fat. No, couldn't do that. No, uh, can't not, all, not even. We can't all achieve that. No, no, it's only it's only some of us are, are naturally like uh, able to. Uh, it's uh, when you consider what he had to do for Raging Bull and the weight that he put on. Uh, well, that was his. Uh, I think. I think the, I might have put him off the notion. Maybe the the story was. We'll go back to how this film starts. Uh-huh. Um, the producer of this film is Art Linson. If you don't know Art Linson. Look up Art Linson. He's produced a lot of mighty stuff. A lot of stuff. He he also directed Where the Buffalo Roams, the Hunter S. Thompson film with Bill mm-hmm. Murray. Mm-hmm. Art Linson was making Scrooged. Another. And and this landed on his desk. There was a playwright, a Pulitzer Prizeman in playwright, who wrote a draft of The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. And Art Linson read it and went, brilliant. And then all of a sudden she was sacked. So David Mamet, 
another Pulitzer Prize winning yes. playwright lands in with a inch perfect script and everybody gets excited because Mamet was only doing plays, a few films, but he'd done plays mainly and he'd won so many. And Larry Glenn Ross had won the Pulitzer and it was yet to be filmed, but Mamet knew how to write. Yeah. Okay. He knew how to write men speaking. <laughs> yeah. And the, 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 the term Mamet speak is because of David Mamet, but he had this idea for a Western set in Chicago where he's from. Uh-huh. And the Western would be around the Prohibition era and Capone's rise to power and his reign. And, yeah. you know, the notion you of a... You can definitely get the feel of the Western. Oh, you do. Yeah, doubt, you yeah. know, the whole uh, young the, gunslinger and the old gunslinger yeah. going against each other and trying to fight against this great crime and this great immorality. But within this whole maelstrom of who are we going to hire, who's going to cast this, who's going to play this, mm-hmm. Brian De Palma lands in the middle of it. Now, Brian De Palma, at this point had already done some of the fucking finest films in American cinematic history, and he's one of the best directors ever. Mm -hmm. And he lands in and goes, you know who I want for Capone? Everybody's like, woohoo. He's like, De Niro. De Niro's the biggest star in the world. And they're like, yeah. He's going to be busy. And they're like, okay. So what do you want to do here if he's not available? He's like, I got Bob Hoskins on the phone. And they're like, what? (laughs) You got your second... Choice for Capone is Bob Hoskins. And he goes, yeah. And Bob Hoskins goes on, Terry Wogan. He obviously doesn't play the character. Uh-huh. De Niro commits. But De Niro's quite busy, so he can only film for a few weeks at the end of their filming schedule. But Bob Hoskins goes on, Terry Wogan. And we have the clip and tells this fucking brilliant story. So prepare yourself. Uh, Brian De Palma, yeah. Well, he... he um he phoned me up and he sent me this script of The Untouchables. And he said, you know, read, and read Al Capone. So I thought, Al Capone, yeah, I'll have some of this. And um, I read it and he said, meet, meet me in uh, the Beverly Wiltshire, in the hotel, in the bar. And we met in the bar. And he said, listen, I want De Niro to do this. I thought, oh, great. Terrific. And he said, but if he, I don't think he's going to do it. But if he, uh, but I want him to do it. But if he doesn't, will you do it? I said, yeah, you know, if I'm free. But yeah, I will. Terrific. No, fine. And I, I went off and I forgot about it. And then I saw in the paper that De Niro was doing Al Capone. I was like, oh, he's got him. Terrific. Then I, I was sitting there having me cornflakes in the morning and, and Linda's opening the mail. She went, oh, that. She we've got to check it for $200,000. I said, what's that? Oh, oh. <laughs> and it said, uh, thank you, Bob, for being my... St- thank you, Bob, for being my standby. Love, Brian. And I thought, well, if Ollie was like this, I'll phone him up a couple of times. Yeah, Brian, you got any more films you don't want me to be? <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, like, yeah. fucking brilliant. <laughs> Just like, and De Palma in the documentary about De Palma verified that that happened. He actually rang him up and was like, Danny Gals, you don't want me to be in? Like, I can take a few, a few 200 grand, Jacks. Like, Holy fuck, that is... So uh, Hoskins yeah. was there, but De Niro was doing a play and he was doing the end, tail end of another film, so he couldn't fully commit. But when he fully committed, obviously, De Niro yeah. was first yeah. choice. But when De Palma came in, first choice for Elliot Ness was Mickey Rourke, mm. who turned it down. Right. And second choice was Don Johnson. Oh, no. Who was flat to the mat on the Miami Vice. Miami Vice flat at the moment. And oh, no. he also turned it down. Thank fuck. So what we got was... And I'll, I don't say this lightly because I love Kevin Costner, 
Yeah. I think it's his best performance. Yeah. That because he's there, totally yeah. the white knight. Like, mm-hmm. he's the Gary Cooper role. He's the real morality yeah. of the film. He gets a bit dark near the end, of course, but mm. he is perfect in this role as Elliot Ness. Yes. Um, so the, the period that we're talking about is Prohibition period. Yeah. So um, Late 20s, of, early 30s. And, and, and I was going to say Bob Hoskins as Al Capone. You maybe couldn't have pictured it, but, I mean, an English actor playing Al Capone. We've seen it. It's in, happened. In uh, Boardwalk Empire as well. Uh, and so Tom Hardy playing Hardy Capone. Hardy playing as well. So... It has happened, uh, but I mean, yeah, so it's set around that time, and, and like we talked, I said there, Boardwalk Empire is sort of loosely um, based around that period as well, mm-hmm. so you sort of see the, the, the modern taking it, but this is 87, you're talking 23 years ago, this yeah. taking it, and it's still as fresh today. Oh, it's striking. Uh, it's and that is a lot of it down to, there's a great cinematography in it that really shows Great cinematography, Chicago. so if we step back from who's in it, mm-hmm. we know Connery's there, Garcia, you know, Costner, De Niro, mm-hmm. we've got all that. Step back a second. You've Brian De Palma. Yeah. You've who got David start, David who, Mamet. Who was started his decade off with Scarface. Was with Scarface. <laughs> and have you ever seen Body Double? What a fucking film. Oh, and yes, Blowout. What a yes. fucking unbelievable director. Then you've got Giorgio Armani as the costume designer. What's Armani? Every it? single suit is Armani. <laughs> of course it is. And then you have the pièce de résistance of Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone, yeah. This film Morricone. is the only film. I think that is better with music. Mm. I think it's ninety percent music. It's, the rest is just there to be there. Well, we we heard the intro. Um, the intro was uh, obviously the uh, the strength of the righteous. The strength of the righteous, what you call it? Um, Duke Ellington music in the middle of it too. Aye, some of the period some stuff, stuff is. Aye. Aye. Um, which again just give it that more authentic feel, obviously to it. But so you've got some standout scenes that mm. really have still. They, they've they've resonated right to today, but they've also like been parodied and like satire over and, and comedy texts and you know and, and uh, one of the most famous obviously Naked Gun the the, the bit the bit yeah the the, 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 the train station wasn't it mm-hmm. um but uh, I mean the look of Chicago in this and it's Chicago it is Chicago yeah it's not an R city decked out to look no. like nineteen late nineteen twenties early thirties Chicago it is Chicago and they it's done so well and it's pre CGI. Like, yeah, that's why some of them... How the fuck they I did it, I have no idea. When you see it now in uh, in HD, and you're looking in, in all its glory... You're and you're like, looking for a blemish, yeah, and you can't and see you it. Can, and it's like, nothing was mm-hmm. inserted, nothing was put in, that was as natural as could be, so... Um, yeah, like we said, so, Elliot Ness, Kevin Costner's character, Sean Connery then plays his... Uh, sort of like his... Uh, Mentor, would you call it that? He I, takes him under his wing. Uh, in, a, in a way, it, the thing with Connery... As Connor, you say, the, the white knight thing is just... In, I would, needed to be a wee bit muddied. Yes. And, and Connery not, was Not to say that it. Connery wasn't moral. He no, was, he was extremely moral. But he knew that there was a certain way to get to criminals, especially in Chicago. Yeah. Basically, the story of this is, is that um, Herbert Hoover, the president at the time, was called on by people to say, how can you let a criminal in, in this big moral fucking wing you have, how can yeah. you let a criminal like Al Capone run a city? Mm-hmm. And he went, well, I'm not going to have that. So he sent Elliot Ness. But as we know now, because history tells awful, awful tales, Elliot Ness didn't do much in reality. Uh-huh. Elliot Ness was just sort of a treasury department officer, but it was other groups uh, that set up the sting for Capone and the uh, income tax fraud, et cetera, et cetera. 
that Ken Burns, who does the documentary series, uh-huh. uh, he did the Vietnam one. He's done the one oh, yeah, baseball. Yeah. He did one on Prohibition, and he basically said that L.A. Ness was a PR stunt. Right. He wasn't really the guy he's being portrayed in because L.A. Ness himself wrote a book called The Untouchables. Right. That basically just alleviated him as L.A. Ness uh-huh. to be a real okay. hero of all heroes. They were going to name a treasury building in Chicago, the Elliot Ness building. And this is a quote. Naming a building after help, after him for his role in getting Capone, you might as well name it after Batman. <laughs> so he did very, very, very little in getting Al Capone. But David Mamet thought it was just so romantic. And the notion of this young guy going after the biggest fucking most evil crime boss in America was just such a great tale. And again, it led into the Western thing. So you had to have a Connery. Yeah. The old hat who'd seen the rise of this Capone guy went, the only way you can actually hit him is if you hit him with his own weapons. The way he does his brand of justice, you have to do the same thing. So there's a great scene which uses this diopter camera thing where you can see the foreground, the background clear. They Mm -hmm. do it if you... Brian De Palma's a big fan of it. And it's one of the most memorable scenes in cinema. To yeah. me, and one uh, the speech of it. I mean, uh, it's it kind of got the way Scarface kind of got glorified in the hip hop world. Yeah, this was kind of adopted too because there were statements in it. I would say a lot of it's based around the speech. I want to get Capone. I don't know how to get him. Want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife. You pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago. And that's how you get the bomb. Now, do you want to do that? Are you ready to do that? I'm making you a deal. Do you want this deal? I have sworn to put this man away with any and all legal means at my disposal, and I will do so. <laughs> you know, Jimmy Malone, there, uh, there's been a lot of revisionary history, sort of factual books brought out about L.A. Ness, because it's mm-hmm. such a modern character. It's not modern in our time, but it's not a yeah. cowboy where you can't actually get anybody to verify. It's a, a person who walked around in a modern city. Yes. And the, the character, apparently, that Malone is based on, Sean Connery's character, apparently mm-hmm. was from Northern Ireland. Right. The actual real guy that... that Whoever, not Ness, but whoever the government official who was took down Capone, yeah. the guy he referenced or used as his sort of was leverage Nordy? was from Nord. He was from the Nord. Jesus. So, as opposed to Sean Connery from Donegal, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> Sean Connery from Donegal. Then. <laughs> was that Donegal? Uh, Malone from... Uh, Malone? Jimmy from, Malone? Jimmy Malone. From Armagh or something. <laughs> Trained with RUC, had to leave. I <laughs> Fucked about a bit. <laughs> Uh, so yes, we have, uh, as you say, Malone's his sort of mentor. And then we have another sort of hotshot, mm-hmm. the man of the, of the moment, because, uh, he really was the he, man at, of the moment. He was in such, uh, an awful lot of films that, mm-hmm. um, you wonder what happened to him, but, uh, Mr. Garcia, Mr. Andy Garcia, Andy. who, um, plays, uh, sort of a, a trainee or somebody's a new recruit to he, he, he's because they're trying to set up a force they're trying to set up a force but what Connery says is you don't go you know he does the whole you want to get 
a good apple, don't go to the barrel, go to the tree. Yeah. So they go to the the, the police training mm-hmm. area to get someone who hasn't been corrupted by the force yet. Yeah. Um, this is after he mentions that they can't talk in the police station because of the walls of ears. So there's too many people about that would talk too many people. Yeah. Because Chicago was the most corrupt city on the planet at this time. <laughs> the gangsters had fucking... <laughs> not much has changed. Everyone. <laughs> so they... <laughs> What they do is they go to the, the police academy and this guy's there. Yeah. And he's like, who's the best shooter? But they they find a guy who not only is an extraordinary shot, but mm-hmm. he's also lying about his heritage. And we also find out that Sean Connor's a massive racist in this film. Because <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he's referring to everybody's dingoes and wops and you're like, yeah. oh, Sean. Sign of the times and all that. Sign man. of the times. Yeah. Uh, so Sean Connery sort of, again, it's trying to whip this team into shape. Yeah. To try and take on. Because let's be honest, Capone had built, uh, whether it was more reputation than, than fact, um, but he was renowned um, and extremely feared and was building quite an empire within Chicago. Quite an empire. And outside. Uh, and outside. And, and, and a lot of it obviously came coming from Prohibition, but then all the other. We side avenues that happen. We footerns. The wee footerns that are legit, legitimate with the government and all the rest. So, mm-hmm. um, you can see why it took because there was a TV series. Of yes, the there was. That came out in the fifties, late fifties. Yeah, early. and it's really dated. Yeah. Hey, get him, see. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, it's and it's quite like I think Robert Shaw was in one of them, like a young Robert Shaw. But they're like they do this sort of exposition of the story. Yeah. Where they over-explain everything at the start. This man here has been accused of crimes. These crimes are blah, 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 blah. And you're like, why are you tell me all this? For? I'm going to know everything when the show starts. Like, we are following this man down the road. He's stolen some gear. Well, we still have it the in fucking fuck? modern day stuff. Where you go, in this episode, you're like, I don't want to know what happens in this episode. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, but it took a while then to get a, a proper, you know... A, a decent take on it. Uh, yes. I want to say that. Or, no, or, absolutely. Or should I say a, ho- a Hollywood take on it, but a big a big budget on it. And, but uh, this is so not... Yes, there's big stars in it, as we know at the time, but don't forget, this is Kevin Costner's breakout role. Kevin yeah. Costner was 32 at this point, mm-hmm. and he'd been in... I think Art Linson was the man who brought Costner's name to De Palma, and De Palma said, I've never seen him in anything except for that Silverado. And mm-hmm. it was a Western, and he liked him, but he was like... Is he going to be the guy? Yeah. And De Palma actually interviewed Steven Spielberg and uh, Martin Scorsese and said, is, is he going to hold this up? And they were like, yeah, he's going to be perfect. Perfect leading man. And they were right. Yeah, he did. He played an absolute blinder in it. Um, I mean, Don Johnson or Mickey Rourke. Uh, I mean, Mickey, you Mickey know, Rourke might have done a good job of it, but uh, would you have seen him as being as clean as Costner was? Like, uh, no. Which he needed to be? No. Field of Dreams because was after this. Connery, you, Connery wasn't that dirty. No. You know, uh, so the two of them were almost equally as clean. You know what I mean? Aye. If you had a, uh, I know what you mean. If you had a, had a Mickey Rourke in there, it just it wouldn't have shown. They just would have been an equal power. So you needed to have that sort yeah. of... Yeah. This is Angel Heart Mickey Rourke. He yeah. was still seen it's as a bit rugged. A bit of a rebel. Of college, he James wasn't quite a uh, <laughs> 50-year-old Florida millionaire woman plastic face Mickey Rourke that he is now <laughs> no. what the fuck's going on with Mickey Rourke now like? poor Mick poor old Mick they refer to Don Johnson Don, Don Johnson held it up is well it's right. yeah. you know I'd raid Don Johnson you know I'd, I'd give John a wee Don um, <laughs> <geez. laughs> that was a fucking Friday slip that worked in your favour I'd give John a wee Don uh, yeah I mean it, it, yeah he's still I mean if you've seen him in Knives Out he was, he was pretty good enough. yeah but uh, so 
you've, you've got this uh, Chicago being used, obviously, because it is the location, but, I mean, quite a few historical locations in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the train station being... Yeah, but um, we go back, just after all the group get together. Yeah. There's also Wallace, the accountant. He ma- That's he, right, They Wallace, make up yeah. the four. That's the four guys. Yeah. But they go to the post office, and it's right across the road from the building, mm-hmm. from the treasury building. And they break into the post office, and they find that the post office has been the main source of shenton the booth so because uh ness gets fucked over with his first initial raid and i just find tiny umbrellas <laughs> he's sort of nervous about busting into the post office with just four guys and like fucking shotguns so when they go in <laughs> and you find out that the post office the guy in the post office says the strangest lines because when they break in he's like Hey, this yeah. isn't good. Right. This isn't right. Like, what the fuck do you mean? This isn't, have you got a warrant? And then Connor hits him the balls with shotgun. And he's like, right. how's your feeling now? Better or worse? <laughs> but you'd wonder, right. was David Mamm at that point, was he out for a fight break? Just, I don't know, man. Just, because he's sort of like, did, did he expect it to sound that way when he wrote it? Hey, this isn't good. <laughs> Why is he reacting that way? <laughs> like he should be going, uh, "You boys are right, uh, are you right? Are you got a shotgun in your hand?" <laughs> but he just sort of reacts like, "No, no, you shouldn't be doing this. You're the police, are you? No, 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 no. Don't be like that now. Nope, no, get outside on. now. Get outside. Not that I'm messing about." So they get this, they get this, and it really irks uh, De Niro's character and Capone, and they have that infamous scene that's lampooned by everyone, including the Simpsons, where the boys are sitting around the table and they baseball bats the fuck out of the boy that let them <laughs> into the post office. Which is great. Yeah. And I didn't realize they actually based a lot of the death scenes on actual footage or photographs of death scenes from the 30s. Right. You know the way they always look? Uh-huh. So pristine. Yeah. But just there's a lot of blood. There's fucking blood everywhere. Every, any of them mafia killing photos you see from New York and Chicago. Oh, yeah. They always look like just angels, cloistered in blood. And you're like, but he's dead. And it's because they only use like these wee hollow point guns. Yeah. I, I, so they bled it. There was no fucking brain splattered no. ever and all this nonsense. We stubbies. Aye. So they just bap, 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 bap. <laughs> So there's lots of blood because they shot them lots of times, but it just looks like he's sleeping. <laughs> so that's what a lot of the scenes of yeah. the carnage in this one. And De Palma does not shy away no, from I'm blood actually, yeah. and fucking guts in this thing. And I'm actually thinking, what was it, what was this written when it came out? Was it a 15? 15? Was it, yeah. 15. Pretty was, good for... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, because it could have easily went late 18. It was that sort of, for the time, it was quite... Now, <coughs> today, it would be PG. Yep. But at the time, it was, yeah, it was quite it was quite uh, violent. De Palma uh, said about, my image of the Untouchables is that corruption looks great, like Nazi Germany. It's clean, it's big, and everything runs smooth. The problem is, all the oppressed people are in some camp somewhere, and nobody ever sees them. So the world of Capone, Chicago, is a slick world, and a world that runs by big money and corruption, and it has to look fabulous. Mm. Which is pretty well, intriguing if you're going into a film like that, but that sounds like how you went into Scarface as well. Yeah. Well, if you take a look, I mean, if you uh, the difference between Scarface and this, um, the look of it, yep. Scarface being so neon and so... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> proper 80s. Like, Synth. Yeah, that, that, yeah. And, and sometimes there's a lot of sins of the synth. Oh, yeah. Have been committed throughout the 80s. That oh, yeah. Even in music albums as well, where you're going, oh, that would be such a great tune if you, you had to fucking put that thing down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and 
I'm sort of glad that this had to be set in the 30s so that the Palmer wasn't allowed near a fucking synth again. Yeah, even <laughs> like Morricone, they must have said to Morricone, listen, we need the best of the best and you're the fucking best of the best. So, but can you not use a synth? And Morricone's like, okay. I was like, and you're like, no, he doesn't use a synth. It's all right. He, he's an or- orchestral composer. So there's no fucking sense. But even in the scene, remember when they first go after the first raid, mm-hmm. where it's all about fuck up mm-hmm. and uh, Elliot Ness and Malone meet on the bridge for the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the next morning, remember, it goes to the hotel and they go up the stairs and it goes into De Niro with the newspaper eating the breakfast in the bed and he's giving it the ha 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 ha. Like, fucking Ness fucked up. We caught him, mighty. <laughs> the music, that noise. I always go, ugh. Why did he put that in there? Like, what the fuck is in that theme? It's weird. But it's obviously De Palma going, that sounds like a synth. Turn that. <laughs> <laughs> Just loving it. Like, Turn that baby up for me. But it's such a great theme, dude. Uh, yeah, great. And it's such a military type theme, which it needed to be in regards to this whole sort of... And I mean, let's be honest, you could really... Uh, law enforcement uh, being topical at the moment. I mean, it's this was... You don't get that anymore. Proper good cops be robbers type. Thing. You know what I mean? You're yeah. getting that. You're always showing. No, and I was thinking, and it's usually done by a superhero or a you know, a yeah. caper, you know For this is in terms of gangster films, yes, there's better. But in terms of what you've just said, I don't think there is. And there hasn't been a good one since this. No, that equals it. No, you can't. There's too many. Like they got everybody at the top of their game yeah. in this film. The cast is incredible. Like absolutely incredible, and. To get fucking more, to get more going to do an an original fucking score mm-hmm. for a new film, it's just like it's a miracle. Yeah, it's uh, and, and I've seen him play it live as I've mentioned before, but it was Ooh, fucking right. unbelievable. All right, like I didn't even go for a drink after. I had to go and think. I was sitting in the bedroom <laughs> wanking away to myself, going, "What did I just see?" It was uncomfortable because my wife was there. But it was unbelievable. Like, <laughs> but it's to hear it live and the amount of people it takes to make that noise. It was just what yeah, the it fuck? does. Be, I, I think sometimes they do get they don't get the recognition that they Mm-mm. deserve. To be honest with you, and uh, a lot of scores throughout uh, history have. It's not until you, as you say, until you physically see it, Aye, or sometimes you'll see them the making of a film, or you'll see the back behind the scenes thing, and they'll they'll show you the recording the score, and you're going, "Fuck, that's right. It needs like, Aye, it's, sixty it's, people to make yeah, that noise. It's epic, like." Uh, so we've bu- talking a budget of twenty five million, um, mm-hmm. taking in the box office one hundred and six million, so four times the 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 money uh, in that time. Obviously, it's, that's big dough. But it's fucking, it's absolutely shattered that ten times over. I was going to say the video then, the VHS oh, at the time was through the roof. Never oh, mind. F- fuck it. What? Oh, would you fuck me off? Uh, even if you take it up right up until you know the 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 DVD and then the, the Blu rays, like it's still so timeless. Um, mm. And back to that, what we talked about, Mammoth plays a massive massive part in that. Massive. Uh, apart from that one, we seen took a fag break. Um, <laughs> we took a fag break twice, but we're going to talk <laughs> about the train station later. Yes, but uh, so uh, well, we the, the, sort of one of the main ones we haven't talked about then is De Niro. Yeah. So De Niro, we we sort of briefly talked about his. Uh, needing prosthetics and uh, he couldn't eat his way around Rome like he did for Raging Bull because he was doing two other projects. Yeah, so he was he, on Broadway at the time. I think, yeah, as well, yeah. He he heaped on uh, the pounds with his notorious uh, pasta and ice cream, <laughs> um, and he did a great job of it. But what all, he also did the fucking lunatic as he. 
plucked out his own hair. That's not a wig, like. Yeah. He plucked that's... out the hair from his own head and shaved back to look like Capone. <laughs> and, you know, that's fine. How raging was he about three years later when he's seen the ball caps come out? Going, for fuck's sake. Uh, or, or like four years later when he went, you can CGI this? <laughs> I didn't have to do any of this. <laughs> I didn't have to fucking fuck. But, but what I he mean... also did was he wore the same brand of underwear that Capone wore, silk underwear, for the entire shoot. Right. So I'm sure he changed his pants a few times, but he he wanted to feel what Capone felt in his nethers. <laughs> I, I, How's I, that I, I help did you see like, somewhere where he was watching a lot of footage of him and stuff like that, but did not know about. Uh, he wore the same brand of underpants, the silk. exact same silk underpants. Keeping the silk on the testes now. As we. To- Have you ever seen a picture of Al Capone? He's uh, a wee, tiny, no, tiny wee fat, fat boy. bald yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. Who has a severe complex. Mm-hmm. And De Niro thought he would be able to get into the, the, the mood of Capone by wearing his underflaps. And to be fair, we'll put we'll play a wee auto here. He fucking does, like. What? They got the shipment. What? They got the whole shipment. I want that son of a bitch dead. I want him dead. I want him dead. I'm dead. What shipment. am I alone in this world? Did I ask no. you what you're trying to do? No, Did I ask no, you what no, you're no, trying no, to do? Please. I want you to get this fuck where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. I want to go to the middle of the night. I want to piss on his ashes. Raging at absolutely Rage. everything. <laughs> but he nails it because in every scene, and, and Pacino, is, or Pacino, De Niro is only in the same scene with Costner twice. Yeah. When he's coming down the stairs and Costner's just found out that they kill Wallace and the, the guy that had the, the access to the books for the bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. And then in the court, the court scene at the end, it's the only times the two boys meet. And, and both times, De Niro and Costner go at it, yeah. roaring at each other or giving it full <laughs> digs. Like, but and imagine, you're Kevin, but imagine you're Kevin Costner, yeah. and it's your breakout role. Yeah, and you're having and a, you're you having meet De Niro a twice. courtroom scene with <laughs> yeah. fucking Robert De Niro. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a shitty cack time. Uh, but it's uh, here, it, but he's silky eggs. He's silky eggs. Silky clean, easy to clean them eggs. Uh, but it worked, like we said, and that uh, otherwise it wouldn't be on our show. Not a fucking chance. It wouldn't be good enough. Uh, but so you're taking then the the there was a bit of I'm not gonna say hamming it up there, but he enjoyed himself in that. He enjo- yeah, you he definitely get that because he didn't really get loose. Um, uh, sort of with. Gangster stuff, really, to mm-hmm. good fellas. You know, he done obviously the um, Godfather part two. Godfather, but he done, you know, but I mean, but he's get, quite serious in that yeah, as well. And, I, and he's low key. Yeah. But to get this drama and to get this almost cartoonish, like yeah, it's theatrical. Yeah. It's, it's fucking Roman Empire. It's proper, yeah. uh, like him lying in the in, in the chair at the start, getting it shaved, and his barber's yeah. there, and they're all doing his nails all around him. Well, be getting fed. Grapes. That's the court of Louis the Fourth. Like yeah. that's that's proper opulence, and they don't talk to him for an answer they just wait for him to speak yeah and then he starts doing his big diatribes and it's all fucking gangster bullshit like about we're not criminals we don't we don't enact in violence because it's bad for business and then the next scene <laughs> Nettie puts a bomb in a fucking bar and blows up weed all like, alright okay only this one no morale <laughs> uh, so Capone yeah I mean he had turned Chicago and as you say he had, he had, he had stretched out a bit further than that um, he had sort of I would say had, uh, pretty much the, the north of the United States, mm-hmm. had pretty much the, the bootleg and yep. covered. Um, <coughs> well, notoriously, California and New York were ruled by its own oh, worlds. Yeah. So 
Capone pretty much had free reign of everywhere fucking Everywhere in between. So it's... Uh, and then, I mean, you're talking the, the, the level of budget, 25 million is mm-hmm. massive for that time. Yeah, of course. But not that massive. Because you're not needing the special effects, you're not needing... No. It's, it's a quite a grounded film in that mm-hmm. sense, obviously, because it's set in 1930 or whatever. Uh, but you're talking critical acclaim as well as box office success, which is a rarity from the 80s. Yeah. Uh, it was so... Everything was so fucking slick and sheen and everything was turning since mm-hmm. <laughs> going crazy. You uh, Connery got uh, nominated, so he, he and won and won for the, the only Oscar for the, for the best support. Like actor. a four, uh, yeah, nominations. four nominations. He, yeah. he was the only winner, uh, but he deserves it. Even though it's been heavily criticised that Connery just played Sean Connery and doesn't <laughs> he doesn't do anything he's else, an yeah. Irish big cop. Yeah, there's another Irish cop in this film who does the proper hair. Will you calm down, Jimmy? Will you calm down? And you're like, all right, that's passable. But then John Connery's like. I'm from Donegal. <laughs> Sean. Right, do it again. I'm you're from Donegal. You're like, Sean. You're fuck very fucking Scotty. Will you fucking just do it in an Irish accent? I am. Um, uh, the soundtrack won a Grammy as well. Uh-huh. A Grammy for the best uh, film soundtrack too. And uh, I think it's... Uh, I can't talk about Morcom more, but I think it's Morcom's best film piece because it's it encompasses everything. There's what we played at the start. Mm-hmm. And then there's the sort of heightened score. He does do, yeah. He really. And then grips. there's the more schmarmy when he's with the, the Wayne score or when with when Malone passes. Mm-hmm. And every time you're going, it sings class. But you're like, if you took the music away, it wouldn't be as good. Yeah. It's absolutely. fucking impossibly good. But if Mamet wrote every word to be exactly what was said and nobody improvised nothing, then De Palma directed the fuck out of this thing and Morricone mm-hmm. has it within his fucking grasp like it's yeah it's brilliant every fucking inch of it is brilliant and we sort of brush over how much of an icon connery is and was in it even at this time he, he's, this, he's as big as the Nero at this time maybe even bigger you're talking bond from the 60s so i mean yep. he's, he's he's legendary but andy garcia tells a, a really good uh story of fucking um working on the untouchables with him where De Palma is directing him, he has answer, his character has to answer the telephone, and he's answering the phone, but he's not. They're not getting his face, and De Palma shouts, "Cut!" And listen, Andy, we need to see more of your face. And he says, "Over in the corner, you can see Connery with his head just in between his head, shaking, going, oh, Jesus. Second <laughs> time, go ahead, De Palma <clears throat> answers the phone, turns a wee bit round." It's, just, it's, not, it's not working, Andy. We're not seeing all your face. When you're just in the corner, you can hear Connery going, it's not Hamlet, kid. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> so Garcia tells it. Does, it. does it in the Connery voice. It's not Hamlet, kid. And then you have, uh, he said the second one was, uh, he's, he's uh, the way he'd arranged things. So Connery had a scene where he had to come in to read a newspaper. Or no, decided uh, De Palma says, figure out what you want to do. And Connor says, I'm going to sit in the corner and I'll be reading the newspaper in this scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Garcia was like, fuck, I was going to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but apparently he had saved up. Uh, there was a scene he had to come in, he only two lanes. But it was around by the time he was uh, dressed for golf. Yes. So he actually went, he'd organized that, played golf. <laughs> and as he finished the 18th, <laughs> oh, oh, while everybody else had worked all day, he had scheduled it. 
so that when he finished golf, he was just walking on set. Yeah. Say his two lanes, and that was his day done. So apparently Garcia went up to him and went, you know, that was that was pretty that was pretty smart, the way you timetabled that, that you had your golf, and then he goes, yeah, it's not my first barbecue, son. <laughs> <laughs> not, not my first barbecue. Well, Connery, <laughs> Connery took the role in a reduced fee. Okay, right. For, for, for him, his standing at the time, obviously he would have got a, whatever the high earning mm. bracket he would have got, but he took a percentage of the gross. Uh, so he was fucking smart enough to do that. But also, it's not his first barbecue. He, he was appalled <laughs> by the amount of blood that was coming out of the squims during his. Here, by the way, if you haven't watched this film, we fucked everything up for you. Yeah. During his death scene, the amount of squibs that went off with the blood, mm-hmm. uh, he was appalled by it, and then he was temporarily blinded by a squib <laughs> and had to go to the hospital. <laughs> And uh, De Palma sort of laughs about that because uh, you can tell that Connery was a bit of work on set. Mm, I would say that. Um, but De Palma was notorious for doing things to actors like, no, 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 I'll be fine. We'll only like two or three wee shots. And then hits him, nearly shooting him with a Tommy gun, and it's like 40 fucking squibs go off in his chest. <laughs> but you got to ask, what the fuck was Connery thinking when they were putting him on him? Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah, is there 40? No, no, it's two. <laughs> it's, I'm counting 40. Nah, totally. <laughs> Right, so only two's going to go off. Mm-hmm. That's right, John. You fuck up. But uh, the only line that was improvised, sorry, was remember where they go to the Canadian border? Mm-hmm. And uh, they take the fucking gangsters at the bridge and the Mounties fuck up yeah. by leaving early. And Connery, remember, he's chasing down the, the, the guy that has the, the ledger for the bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. And he goes, all right, none of this, enough of this running shit. <laughs> Connery said that just because he hated running. <laughs> like... And the palm went, that's brilliant. Just keep adding the fuck. Keep that cut. It's perfect. Because he just hated running. He only, it was like a few yards. Like yeah. he, wouldn't even, he just hated it. Enough of it. Enough of this running shit. <laughs> but uh, you know the uh, the district attorney? Uh-huh. Uh, the old district attorney who's trying to put Capone down. Turns around, remember, to Kevin Costner. Then goes, how did you get the judge? To-? That's our mate, Clifton Jones from Cool Hand Luke. He's the floor walker. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Also... I Remember the government official guy, the alderman, who tries to bribe Ness? Yes. He leaves a wee envelope, giving him the wee wink. Ah, uh, you know, shit happens, shit happens. Nudge, nudge. Do you know that guy? No. You should, comedy man. That's Del Close. No. The king of improvisational comedy in Get America. Out. He started Second City in yeah, Chicago yeah. and all that. He's the man that most improvisational comedy comes through him. Damn. Del fucking Close is the man. Uh, obviously, a big uh, nod to Chicago at that time, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you also know? That De Palma wanted Andy Garcia to play Nitty? No. What? Aye. And Garcia wisely went, no, I think I should play this mm. Stone guy. Maybe George Stone. Maybe I should play that guy because I'm young and like I'm in, <laughs> I shouldn't really play Nitty because then I'll be typecast. But then, lovely fucking play, play of what actually ended up falling. The mighty Billy Drago took on Nitty. Yeah. And Nitty <laughs> is the most evil cunt in all, all the film. He's bad. He's just, you know, there's scenes where, like I was saying about when the the camera's going up through the hotel to see Capone in his room, uh-huh. and you can see Nitty outside the room, like slapping a boy, as in stop fucking about with them prostitutes, mom, we've got killing to bed. Nitty's a mean bastard. He's a bad boy. All the way through this film, like, and he wears the white George Romani suit, obviously. Of course. Because he's the only one that can be the angel of death, because the angel of death comes in a white. Ah. Isn't that good? Oh, oh, nutty, oh, fucking nutty. about there, boy. No fucking messed about with nutty. 
so yeah, and I mean we're gonna we're we're gonna come to an end, obviously, like like every good show does. Well, but, if we come I mean, to an end, we have to talk about the one scene, and I've got a bit written here that I'm just gonna have to read verbatim because it's impossibly good how good it was filmed. The the Union Station scene. Yes. Which is the scene in the film where Post Malone's Post Malone Post Post Malone's Malone. death? Fucking reference for all you youth. If only. Uh, he, he fucking won't like that. And he, <laughs> um, they immediately have to go to try to find the bookkeeper, who they found out through Malone's good work mm-hmm. that he's on this train. Yeah. Originally, Mamet had it scripted to the complex race against Chicago traffic, just missing the train, and then our heroes catch up at the next station before boarding and then blasting away. The scene ends with Stone taking out the hoodlum using the bookkeeper as a shield with a headshot, which is what we see in the film. Mm-hmm. This would have cost an estimated $200,000. So there was no way that the studio would stump up for this, so they wouldn't even find two period trains to film. So they thought, fuck it. The palm is there. They would have been able to get it if they hadn't paid Bob Hoskins. That's what I fucking said. The <laughs> 200 fucking thousand for Bob Hoskins. A 25 million budget and they give 200,000 pounds to Bob? Anyway. <laughs> De Palma said, okay guys, we've run out of money, so give me a staircase, a clock, and a baby carriage. Which was only in reference to Battleship Potemkin, the, the silent right. film uh-huh. that I have history with because Cormac talks about it all the fucking time because he's a wanker. <laughs> and the, the scene is called the Odessa Steps scene in uh-huh. Battleship Potemkin. Yes. So he basically copies that scene but puts it in a modern spin. Uh-huh. So the sailors, the clock, the baby carriage is all part of Battleship Potemkin, but it's filmed fucking okay. long time ago. So anyway, it took six nights to shoot. Right. It only lasts nine minutes. It's not in the script. Mama didn't write a fucking inch of this. Oh, right. And even in the script, it merely states, Ness and Stone go into action. The action will take place on the steps to be outlined later. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Nine minutes of the film, which I will fucking hold my hat up to, is some of the finest filmmaking you've ever seen in your life. So the action will take place on the steps. One of the most iconic scenes in cinema. Was just improvised. Was improvised. In six nights... So, all score, very little dialogue, and the incredible scenes end. Stone slides across the floor to test the baby carriage. Remember, he stops, he throws mm-hmm. the gun to fucking Ness. Mm-hmm. Meantime, Ness has the first gun, and they draw a steady beat on the hood using the bookkeeper as a shield. So, he's pointing it at the bookkeeper, he's pointing it at the guy holding the, the hostage sort of crisis number, and only then does Mammoth's script return. You got him? Yeah, I got him. Take him. That was it. And that was it. Everything else in between. Everything else is fucking ever based. Which is yeah, well, that's, fucking mind blowing. That, like. that is unbelievable skill, and uh, <laughs> that, but that's a person who knows cinema. That's that, that's that's De Palma going. Yeah, I know something that if we pull it off right, and the fact it was six nights, you know, it was going to be done proper. Yeah, uh, they didn't fuck around. They used the real set. They used the real train station. They used. It's, it's just old. impossibly good. Yeah. I, I this film's fucking incredible, look, mate, and it, it was. I, I remember watching because my dad got it out in video and. Uh, because I had seen that, that's when I was able, first time ever, I yep. always remember, first time ever able to reference a scene being copied by something else was a naked gun. Yeah, and they do it as well. When a naked gun was <laughs> I was like, oh, OJ, not OJ with the baby? I, I was like, it's not following my dad was watching. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's, it has been parodied and done so many times. Um, and just again, so iconic. And it's, it's sort of, st- whilst the dialogue stands out in this, I mean, you have scenes together, as you say, there's no dialogue in it. Yeah. Um, so you have everything that you would want in the film. You've got, like, quotable dialogue that's going to last Not forever. only that, there's scenes that I forgot 
were so good. Martin Scorsese says his favorite. Now, Martin Scorsese is a big fan of the Steadicam. We, mm-hmm. we talked about it in our Goodfellas yeah. episode. The moment where he leaves the car and goes through that nightclub through yeah. the kitchen, it's one of the most revered moments in cinema in terms of physicality of how did they do that? Yeah, one shot. Yeah. Scorsese says his favorite Steadicam moment, one shot take, is in The Untouchables. Okay. Where it shows them uh, just before Wallace and uh, the, the, the guy that had the ledger gets shot in the lift. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. There's a press conference with our district attorney. Yes. The camera goes back, shows the boys when you walk to the left oh, by Andy Garcia, right, yes. then goes forward to where Connery and uh, Kevin Costner are walking out of another office, goes back to the same hallway. They realize something's gone wrong and go back. Scorsese says more is said in those two minutes than in any single shot take in history because he goes in and out of about four conversations. Yeah, he hits it right on the mark. And yeah. it's one take. And I never really looked I at it that way. It was one take. It's one fucking take. Fuck, it just steady cam back and forward. Mighty. Well, there you are. See, that's, so they, that's another one. Also, did you know that uh, Brian DeHoma directed Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark with Courtney Cox? I did Cox? know that, yes. Courtney Cox, yes. Isn't that a fucking one? That, uh, and it's not really much direction needed because it was a concert film. Yeah, but... And Courtney Cox just pulled up by the audience. Yeah, but Brian, does. Brian DePalma just turned up at a Bruce Springsteen concert and filmed it. Yeah. That's brilliant. That, 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 if he turned up here and filmed me and you, it would be brilliant. Be the yeah. best podcast filmed ever. Yeah, the content had to be shit, but he it would look amazing. <laughs> Even with two big shiny turds in the middle of it, he would make it look good. <laughs> uh, right, I mean, we we come, obviously we, as always we get to the end. We have uh, this is my favorite. Given away, uh, yeah, we're giving away everything. So fuck it, nobody's gonna care because Nitty died. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play Nitty Dane. Yeah, play Nitty Dane. Play Nitty Dane. You say? I said that your friend died screaming like a stuck Irish pig. Now bastard. you think about that when I beat the rat. Dirty bastard. I'd push him off a fucking building. Morricone, so listen to this shit. They're on the roof. Okay. Hey. Nettie's getting fucked ah. off the building. Ah. Did he sound anything like that? Fucking wreck, Kevin Cosney. No, don't fuck with the cars. If you say to any of the boys, and hang about the Irish boys, you're getting fucked with the building. You're getting fired off a roof. That was, uh, Kevin doesn't take no shite. Like. Kevin takes no shite. David Mamet said about writing this film, tragedy is just heightened melodrama. Well, what? Well, and that's a Stanislavski that. quote. And he says, that's the only way I can describe when I wrote this film. Tragedy is just heightened melodrama. Well, what we need to do now is lower the melodrama and bring it to an end. Um. <laughs> Funk lips. Uh, yes, so thank you very much for listening. We hope you get a chance to re-watch or watch for the first time. Um, the Untouchables. Hopefully we haven't spoiled it too much if you haven't seen it before. We don't care. We don't care. But you should have watched it by now and if you haven't, yeah. you've got a great guide. 1987. Get yes. Get 20, over yourself. Well, I'm only 18. 1987. <laughs> it's been around for long. You could have loads of time. <laughs> it's been around longer than you have. You dick. <laughs> uh, so yes, um, we're going to uh, finish up and thank you very much for listening and apologies for our little break. No um, apologies. Life happens. We were doing happens. stuff. We got. We were doing stuff, and uh, we have our. We're going to have our Patreon up and running soon. So thank you to everybody that has said, "Where's your Patreon?" So yeah. that means that we've There's somebody's going to help out. Yeah, um, we, we've been sent a few suggestions already of people thinking that it's already up and it's not. But <clears> we, we we'll take your money, and yes. then we'll put it up. Yes, before they evict us from here, uh, yeah, we'll yeah. do that. So, thank you very much. Um, it's uh, I guess uh, we're gonna 
Bring down the melodrama now. Oh yeah. It's a Bring good, it down a bit lower. It's a good buy from me. <laughs> it's a good buy from him. <laughs> <laughs>